Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Hey everybody, I trust you're all uh, keeping well. It was so good to see many of you on uh, on Sunday turn out for what was our first return to Q as a public um, venue since the shutdown 17 weeks ago. Thank you for coming. It was great to see you all. Please uh, make sure word is around for anybody who uh, may not have caught up yet with where we're at and um, uh uh, I assure you we'll do our very best to uh, have a safe environment for you and we made good use of the balcony uh, at the weekend and uh, we have options if if uh, any of you are just a little bit more nervous and wary of how to get you in and out with very minimal uh, contact with anybody and anything. So please let us know and please get word around. We will be there again on Sunday at four, hoping to have another good night like we did Uh this uh, past Sunday. Also, I want to continue bringing to you uh, talks in this format, uh, probably at least once a week now, uh, um, so that uh, I can share my heart with you and um, uh, release to you um, thoughts and and ideas that I think hopefully from a point of revelation may uh, help all of us to process what we're thinking and what we're addressing at this time. Uh, and I want to talk to you a little bit um, today about recalibrating your thinking. Um, we have had, as I've said before, um, congested into a short period of time um, four things that um, that are probably brought to the surface in all of us to some degree. Uh, what's going on in our minds and our thinking and our hearts from... Brexit, to general election, to COVID-19, to the race issues with the death of George Floyd. And um, I think what's come up in all of us has not always been the same thing. And uh, as I've already said to you, I think one of the things about uh, this uh, period has been, I think it's highlighted to some degree, uh, possibly more the divisions than... than uh, than the things on which we're unified. But um, that's not a problem because in the absence of chaos, we can't have creation. So thank God for chaos. Uh, we've just got to make sure that, that within and through and out of the chaos, we see a creation that comes out of it that in the context of, for example, the biblical narrative leaves us in a place where it's good or very good at least. Um, and so I want to talk about this, this issue of recalibrating our thinking. See, the, the recalibration of our thinking is a necessary discipline. Um, that is if we're to keep step with the unfolding nature of life and things. Life moves along very, very quickly. And one of the problems with perhaps being part of a, let's call it a faith community for want of a better word, or let's give it the term you know, the church as a institution, organization, whatever, is that it itself and the way it works tends to 
um, not really keep pace with the nature of the unfolding nature of of life and things and uh, in my own stream with with the people I was raised around you know the whole issue of um, of uh, you know I am the Lord I do not change would be quoted to me um, sort of as a reason for um, that we if we give any assent to the reality of God a God the divine presence um, our connection with him our life in him and through him and with him um, that somehow that that gives us an exemption clause from having to address the reality of the speed and the extent to which life and things actually change and so we can get stuck in things that are actually uh, they have become uh, traditions from instructions so instructions that we have read even in the context of bible that had a great relevance uh, when they were given and in the in the place they were given uh, as so often with us in a church environment uh, have gone from instruction to tradition and then it's like war betide you if you mess with with my tradition, uh, I think even, you know, if we were to get into it to discuss some of the creeds, the Christian creeds, I think there are some wonderful things in there, but one would have to question some of them and how they were developed within the context of a time and a period. And yeah, that's one for another day. If that scares some of you half to death, then I hope the half that's still alive is the good half that can uh, do a recalibration of thinking. Um, but, but there, there lies in this challenge of recalibration a, 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 a huge, a huge um, requirement uh, because within that challenge we, we, we find it neither easy or comfortable. Uh, where do you think phrases like you can't teach an old dog new tricks came from? They, they come from our insistence that, that uh, particularly the older we get, that our ability to face the challenge of recalibrating our thinking, because it's neither easy nor comfortable, that we believe therefore that we are incapable. Well, you're not incapable, I'm not incapable. And this is a safe space to be in because, um, uh, you know, I, I like the fact of how often in the New Testament it refers to the living God. OK, what I believe that implies to us is that anything that's living is not static. OK, it's dynamic. And uh, if we would claim that the God that we have embraced the understanding of God that we've embraced, the, the relationship with this God that we have embraced, uh, is this God who is spoken about, then, then he is the living God, which means that there is a dynamism about that, that we have relegated into a static role of thinking that somehow by creeds and doctrines, uh, we can button down everything about this um, this divine being and then we can just create structures around all that and lo and behold what do we finish up I'll tell you what we finish up with institutionalized religion and dead community 
So um, I think he can teach an old dog new tricks and uh, this old dog is, is learning new tricks and he's grateful for all the challenges and crises and chaos uh, that have surrounded and are surrounding my life because uh, as we've already looked at the Bible narrative picks this up that that creation comes out of out of within and through chaos uh, so if this creates a little chaos for you let life come out of it see so the, there are two terms um, that I'd like you to become familiar with in this context they are cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias okay let me let me just explain those to you cognitive dissonance okay we we like harmony and uh, we have a an inner drive to avoid disharmony discord um, and uh, disharmony in in music is called dissonance okay so dissonance is about disharmony disharmony in anything from facts to functions creates mental discomfort uh, listen to a group of musicians who are playing out of key with each other and in disharmony and uh, it will create mental discomfort when you translate that uh, beyond music into the music of life the tune which is life disharmony in anything in life from facts to functions creates mental discomfort you know that's right i know that's right and this motivates us to engage in actions that will minimize our feelings of discomfort because of this and therefore we erect barriers and behave in ways that avoid the acceptance of anything that might conflict with our current developed beliefs values and attitudes and this may mean rejecting explaining away or avoiding new information if that information does not harmonize with my our currently held views or beliefs and and i you we then develop a kind of conscious rejection uh, for example if I'm a smoker and I become presented with the information that smoking causes lung disease but I want to continue smoking I have to find a way to discredit in order to continue smoking without mental discomfort I have to decide to ignore so so cognitive dissonance is really it's the thing we use to try and maintain mental comfort even in the face of the fact that the information we need to address may be true and and we may need but we have an ig ignorance and ignoring of that in in particular ways that we create within our own mind now confirmation bias is kind of a, a fruit of that and um, uh, confirmation bias occurs from the direct influence of desire on beliefs when people would like or want a certain idea or concept to be true they end up believing it to be true this error leads to the individual uh, stopping gathering information 
when the evidence gathered so far confirms the views or prejudices one would like to be true. So why would I want to, um, why would I want to gather information or evidence if it's not going to confirm the views and prejudices that I have uh, that I want to remain true. And uh, uh, if you've been in church any length of time, please listen to me. We can be very, very guilty of uh, an immature approach to life and spirituality and God and the Bible. And uh, uh, to the extent because we, we, we don't want to gather anything that may contradict our views and prejudices because we want them to be true in the form that we have embraced them. Uh, but that is true of everything, whether whether it's a political ideology um, or or a, uh, a a personal dream or whatever, we, we are very guilty of this. And one, once we've formed a view, we embrace information that confirms that view while ignoring or rejecting information that casts a doubt on it. Do you, do you see how this goes and how we can be guilty of it? Confirmation bias suggests that we don't perceive circumstances objectively. Uh, we pick out those bits of data that make us feel good because they confirm our prejudices. And in doing that, though, we become prisoners of our assumptions. Uh, people are especially likely to process information to support their own beliefs when the issue is thought to be highly important and self-relevant in regards to a chosen stance or position. Um, this is not a statement solely about forms of spiritual or Christian belief or church. This is also true uh, in the personal arena, in the political arena, um, in, 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 in arenas of, of gender, sexuality, all these kind of things, this, this can play a part. Um, yeah, it also plays a role in self-preservation. So, so that's cognitive dissonance and um, uh, confirmation bias. And we're going to see those emerge a little bit in a story that I, I want to just bring to you for a few minutes. Although this story takes place in the context of uh, first century Judea under Roman occupation, its significance and importance travel way beyond its specific time and location. Uh, it's found in the Bible in chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Acts. And uh, the main character is a Jew called Peter. Uh, probably one of the Bible characters that any of you not involved with church will, will um, be more familiar with. One of the disciples of Jesus, uh, who after Jesus' death and resurrection is being faced with the challenges of what the Jesus way looked like and what it required. And uh, he suddenly finds himself part of an unfolding, time-transcending parable. And he, he is right at the centre of what I believe a true story. But in the story is a parable that transcends time and location uh, and, and culture uh, through which it came. Um, it was difficult to embrace within its context because 
It challenged the binary-driven areas of cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias, and that's what drives these two things. It, it required or demanded a recalibration of Peter's thinking, and it is a challenge for us to recalibrate our thinking. So let me let me um, read you the story because it's actually a good little story. So here's here's I won't read you all of it, but here's. Here's the, uh, the, the bones of this thing from the beginning of Acts chapter 10. It starts in verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. <coughs> he and his, all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he's... <laughs> the trance going to dream about food. I've been there. Um, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now let's just hold it there just for a second. In, in the sheet that appeared to Peter in this dream, in this trance, were animals and creatures that in the Jewish tradition were considered both clean and unclean. In their tradition, they had animals that were considered clean for consumption. And, and animals and creatures, including things like shellfish that were considered, and lizards that were considered unclean for consumption. As also part of their religious tradition, if something unclean touched something clean, then the thing that was clean became unclean because it had been corrupted by its, its connection and interaction with the with the unclean thing. So in this sheet that Peter sees and he's hungry and it comes at an appropriate time, um, you know, where he's, he's dripping saliva and starving and and he gets this word seeing all these creatures, Peter, get up and kill and eat. But his reply, as we said, was I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. So Peter hears this voice that he believes to be God. He sees this image which 
is believed to be from God, and I believe it is. And what is fascinating is it says that the sheet came out of heaven. It's the same word for heaven that we have in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, you will be done here on earth like it is in heaven and in many other places. So, so an initial question would be, if the sheet came out of heaven, then A, these unclean things were already there. Interesting. B, if the sheet came out of heaven, there was not an attempt in heaven to separate that which had been called unclean from that which had been called clean. So when Peter says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean, the voice comes to him the second time and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, I also find it interesting in the, in the structure of the, the text in the language there that it doesn't say don't you call anything impure that God has called clean because that would simply be a declaration that says, well, it, you know, whatever it is, I'm just calling it clean. It, it says I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke the second time and said, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. So the implication being that what Peter considered to be unapproachable, inedible, untouchable was not just called clean but as far as God was speaking to him into his traditions it had been made clean so there was no reason whatsoever why Peter could not interact and connect with and receive from and participate in what was coming to him down out of heaven. See what was holding him back was a tradition a religious tradition that created for him a prejudice and a threshold over which he had determined he would not cross. And here's the point. We make decisions from traditions that we have created. Okay, there may be family traditions, there may be political traditions, there may be cultural traditions, there may be racial traditions, there may be religious traditions. But what has happened is that those traditions have created for us a prejudice and they don't have to be old to us to become our prejudice. We can be new into these things and we suddenly resonate with them, even sometimes with a cognitive dissonance because it, it helps to get rid of the disharmony that we are feeling inside. So we connect on one of these levels and when we connect on that level, it immediately creates a prejudice and a threshold over which we have determined we will not cross, just like Peter. We are not going to cross into that house, into that space. Uh, and why is it? It's not because of some highfalutin righteousness that we have. It's because we are actually now beginning to build a prejudice. And that prejudice is being supported by cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias. Okay, so everything seems to confirm our position when we alter that viewpoint. Now, now the, the tradition to which Peter was held, at, at when that tradition was established, was obviously not a tradition. 
it was a, an instruction. So I could take you back into the way back Old Testament of the Bible and show where those instructions came and why those instructions came. But those instructions were perfectly fine in the context in which they were given. But once you take them beyond and outside their context, you finish up not with a not with an instruction, but with a tradition. And I'm trying to get through to you that we do that in everything in life. So things that begin even with an appropriate instruction turn into a deadly tradition, which then creates a prejudice and a threshold over which we will not cross. And then we cannot heal the world and we cannot heal ourselves, and we cannot have that real uh, sense of peace inside. Do you remember we talked about the, 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 um, uh, the, the, the um, cognitive dissonance, about the true harmony uh, on the inside and, and, and with others. So let's pick up the story again. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So all this that he thought was impure and unapproachable, where does it go back? Because, well, my point is this, however you want to define this, heaven obviously didn't have a problem with what was in the sheet. Something had shifted, something had happened to cause all of those things that, that could have been a no-no to become a yes-yes. So while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, was, uh, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And so what we see here is a wonderful fusion of something happening in the life of Cornelius, this Roman centurion, in Jewish eyes a Gentile, a non-Jew, who they would have called a dog. Uh, and something was happening in the life of Peter to challenge the way that he thought, to try to recalibrate his thinking so that where there had been a threshold... And where there had been a prejudice, there could now come a, a glorious union that would bring life. So, um, so the men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous man, God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people, but still he is a Gentile, a non-Jew. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests and the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man. Now, you, you, you have to understand, for Peter to enter that house, to cross the threshold, uh, was, let's call it a miracle. It was a miracle of transformation of thinking because of the prejudices that had to be let go. 
and, uh, and in letting go of those prejudices, the tearing down of traditions that had held him in bondage for all of his life. And so verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. So Peter crossing this threshold was, was a massive shift that required in him a recalibrating of his thinking. Why did he recalibrate that? He said, let me read it again. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with the Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. This was massive for Peter because it meant crossing the threshold into a place everything inside him didn't want to go. A place that he was taught was out of bounds and a people who he was taught he should never accept. The language used to challenge his dissonance and the bias was impure, unclean, unholy, and I'm sure we could add in words there for unacceptable, um, untrustworthy, untrue, that we would apply to our thinking about life and people and politics and 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 uh, um, and policies and as well as as well as our existence as a Christian community and as a church mindset, all those things could be in in there. Um, but but what was interesting to me was we started off with um, these creatures and it was. It was Peter rise and eat. And he said, I can't, I've never done that. And God says, don't you call anything impure that I have called clean. Don't call anything unclean, unapproachable, unedible that I've called clean. It switches in the story as you go through to 11. Don't call anyone who I have called clean, unclean. So anything in chapter 10 and it gradually moves through in the story to anyone don't call anything or anyone unclean who I have called clean that calls us and requires us to to take our thinking and to recalibrate that thinking as to the full extent of who we are to accept and hopefully to be accepted by and the thresholds that we need to cross and not let our traditions in any area of life hold us back from seeing a cleanness and a purity that if we will reach across the thresholds and embrace could see a glorious union come between us. We need to learn to move to that place without objection, to the place where our thinking can be recalibrated all the time. It's interesting, though, the response to this in Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through C says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, sorry, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, this is the hotbed uh, of religious tradition, thinking, institutionalization, sadly institutionalization gripped this early church movement 
almost before he'd hardly had time to breathe. That's another conversation again for another day. But when Peter went up to Jerusalem in the hotbed of what was the place where you were likely to be held to account for uh, tradition and 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 uh, application or, or or understanding of certain doctrine. Um, uh, when he went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, the Jews, we're Jews, we're in, we got it, uh, criticised him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Both of those things were disallowed under their, under their uh, traditions. And I'm going to use the word tr traditions rather than just their law. They had made a law around their traditions that meant that you could not go into the house of the Gentile and you could not eat with them. Uh, but here's the good news, God begged to differ. And that's why I said Peter found himself part of a living parable, uh, parable that uh, reaches right to us today to help us in our life journey. So what are today's challenges that fall within the scope of this teaching? Well, we all need to accept and engage the need to recalibrate our thinking beyond cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias. If we are to be able to cross thresholds to connect with the fuller experience of what it means to be human, what it means to be Christian, Christ follower, uh, what it means to be spiritual, and what it means to be a healer of the world's problems, not just a, a, an accuser uh, of, the, of the offenders. Uh, where we can let those prejudices melt because we've learned that if we will cross the threshold and uh, if we will let go the things that are influencing what has brought our thoughts into an imprisoned place, then our thoughts can be recalibrated and uh, we can bring what Jesus called the kingdom of God, that, that environment, that community that oozes and drips with uh, love and generosity of spirit and kindness. Uh, and that's the only place where, where the, the wounds of the world and the ills that we see every day around us and in our own lives can be fully and completely healed and where we stop calling uh, that which impure that which is pure and stop calling unclean that which is clean and we find ourselves in a way where our spirit can engage with what can bring healing. It means to connect with those who our tradition or religion has taught us not only to be avoided at all costs, but to be considered unclean, unholy and impure. I pray that you'll join me in making that step to allow our thinking to be recalibrated so that across the spectrum of all these things in our spirituality, in our humanity, in our politicality, um, in our generosity, in our, in our community, um, that we can cross those thresholds and uh, not let our tradition or religion teach us to avoid anybody as, as unclean or unholy and impure, but to see them and to see it as God sees us so that we can come into it loving, uh, 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 blessing those who curse us and loving our enemies and doing to others 
as we would have them do to us. So I bless you. I hope this has been helpful for you. Uh, recalibrate your thinking today as you get a hold of these things. And we look forward to crossing many thresholds together and eating with many people who we now see as being clean and seeing those households, those cultures transformed as we do that. So bless you. Love you. Hope to see you on Sunday. And uh, I'll drop some more thoughts into you. Sorry in the middle of next week. There you go. Bless you. Love you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.